you want to open up your copy of God's Word with me this morning to John chapter 11. We'll be looking this morning at the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And over the last couple weeks in John chapter 11, we've seen the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen it in many ways, the one who is the resurrection and the life as he proclaimed to Martha. He is the one who is sovereign over our suffering, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. Yet he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, even to the point of weeping, as we looked at last week. He truly is the man of sorrows from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who would come and bear the iniquities of his people. He is the one who comes not only to sanctify our grief, as we saw last week, to weep perfectly, but he is also the one, as we'll see this morning, that has come to conquer and defeat death itself, to conquer and defeat death itself. And so as we come to our passage this morning, we see that everything in John chapter 11, and really in John's gospel, has kind of been leading up towards this moment in our passage this morning that the Son of God, as we read a couple weeks ago, may be glorified. This is the whole reason John wrote his gospel. He wrote these things down, these signs that he records. He wrote them down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And so in this seventh climactic sign of John's gospel, we see the resurrection of a man from the dead. A miraculous, life-giving miracle, the power of the incarnate Son of God over death itself. A sign of His true divinity and all-powerful Word, and a foreshadowing of His coming resurrection from the grave on the third day. And as we'll see this morning, a picture of our spiritual resurrection from death to life, and the hope of the believer's future bodily resurrection from the dead. So I'm going to read our passage this morning. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 38 through 44. I'll pray for us, and then we'll look to God's Word this morning. This is the Word of the Lord. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, 
his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his, feet, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning for your holy and infallible word by which we come to know you and the truth that you have given us by divine revelation, your God-breathed word to us this morning. And we pray as we come to your word and we come to John's gospel this morning and this miraculous sign of our Lord, we pray that we would see the glory of Christ who is the one who has conquered death and is able to save us from our captivity and slavery and bondage to sin and death. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that we would see the glory of the gospel, the resurrection life that we have only in Christ, that we would believe on the Son of God this morning, and that by believing we might have eternal life in His name alone. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as I said, we've kind of seen the tension building in John chapter 11, right? We, we begin at the beginning where Jesus finds out that his dear friend Lazarus has fallen ill and is sick. And he doesn't go to Lazarus immediately. Instead, he delays. He stays two days longer where he was, and he does not go to Lazarus' aid. And so there's these questions, why is our Lord delaying? Why is this happening? We've looked at the passage and we've seen the sadness and the sorrow of his sisters, Mary and Martha, who are failing at points to recognize why this is happening. And there's confusion as to why their brother has died, acknowledging that our Lord was powerful enough to save him if he willed. But we've also seen kind of the unbelief in the last verse there in verse 37. We've seen the unbelief of those around them that are doubting Christ's power. The one who's able to open the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have saved this man? Couldn't he have kept him from death? And so the tension is building. What's going to happen? What's going to occur in these coming verses? And we've seen everything building to this climactic seventh sign of our Lord. And that brings us to our passage today that we saw last week. Jesus, along with Mary and Martha and the Jews that were gathered, are on their way to the tomb of Lazarus. We find that in our passage this morning. They're on their way to the tomb of Lazarus. Now, this tomb is described as a cave, a great hole carved out of the earth where people that were typically a little bit more well-off would be buried. And a great stone would be rolled over the entrance, sealing it from anyone that would come and try to either take the body or um, just to protect those who had been buried. And if you've been to a grave site recently, if you've maybe been to a funeral or something like this, you kind of know what the atmosphere of this event is. It's a very somber and sobering place to be at the, at the place of a grave or tomb. There's a weight, there's a heaviness that comes with going to the place where someone is buried. There's a sense in which death feels very near, very close, very present. And we see that Jesus is again deeply moved. We saw in the passage previous to this that he was deeply moved and greatly troubled in his spirit. And we see again in our passage this morning, we read in verse 8 that Jesus 
is deeply moved again. This time, not from sorrow or sadness, but indignation as he begins his final assault on death itself. Or as Calvin said, we need not wonder why he here groans. For the violent tyranny of death, which he had to conquer, is placed before his very eyes. <laughs> he's, he's going to the tomb, the death, the enemy of God's people, and he is facing death itself. Death, this great enemy of God's people, has taken his friend. He's looking at the effects of sin and the fall, and Jesus knows what must come next. And he's deeply moved And he commands the people to take away the stone. As we've kind of seen, there's been many words exchanged. There's been lots of wailing. There's been people coming and grieving. There's been many different things, but our Lord is ready to act. He's ready to take action. There's been enough words. There's been enough wailing. Jesus is ready here to act, and he tells them to take away the stone. But we see here, Martha object. Martha objects in verse 39. She says, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. Or if any of you have a King James Version, it says, he stinketh. (laughs) He stinketh, right? There's going to be an odor, Jesus. He's been dead for four days. She knows the normal effects of someone that has died. Death brings with it corruption, decay, rotting, eating away. She knows what happens when a body passes away. It starts to stink. It starts to smell. It begins to decay. It's decomposing at this point. It's been four days. But we see our Lord here has other plans. And in verse 40, he tells Martha this, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is a reference, I think, back to his words that he said to her in the previous passages. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Our Lord here reminds Martha of his great promise that the one who believes in him will see the glory of God and not see death. The one who believes in him will see the glory of God and not see death. And he is about to give Martha a very vivid picture, a very vivid foretaste of what he had told her. And so we see that those gathered take away the stone. They take away the stone. And we see our Lord lifts up his eyes towards the heaven and prays. In verses 41 and 42, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. We see our Lord pray to the Father. Now, a lot of the commentators acknowledge our Lord doesn't always pray before he performs a miracle or a sign. This isn't something that he normally does, but we actually get the answer to why this happens in the prayer itself. We see that our Lord is praying not as a request for power that he did not previously have, but a statement of fact giving thanks to God the Father. 
He's not praying to receive a new unction that he didn't previously have, but he's praying so that the people around him might believe that the Father has sent him. That, as we saw in John chapter 5, he calls God his own Father, making himself equal with God, not only in power and glory, but in substance and nature. And so he's not praying to get something new that he didn't previously had. He is praying out of thanksgiving for what God is about to do through him, what the Father will do in him. And so that brings us to verses 43 and 44, where we see the sign recorded for us. That, as we talked about last week, we saw the humanity of our Lord highlighted when we see him weep at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. But if last week we saw his humanity highlighted, this passage shows us his true divinity in the face of death itself. That he is not just very man, but as we confess often in this church, he is very God. Not just a man that's in right relationship with God, but very and eternal God. Not just a man that has a lot of faith and is able to perform a lot of miracles, but the creator and sustainer of all things. And so when he says these things and he cries out in a loud voice, it is not just a man speaking, but the incarnate Son of God speaking. And so in verse 43, we see Jesus say these words, He cries out in a loud voice, in a cry of command, like the sound of a trumpet, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And we find these amazing words in verse 44. The man who had died came out. The man who was declared dead, who was rotting in the grave, comes forth. The man who was pronounced deceased, who was decaying, walks out of the tomb. The man who was dead heard the voice of the Son of God and obeyed. This is the resurrection of Lazarus from the tomb. The miraculous, supernatural raising of a man from the dead, from the grave, from the tomb by our Lord. Where there was only death, In the tomb, life appears. And we see this is the sign of our Lord. That this Jesus, the man who was born in Bethlehem, is also the eternal Son of God. That when He commands by His Word, creation itself obeys. When He speaks, it is done. Or as the psalmist will say in Psalm 33, of Yahweh... For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. This is the creative power of our Lord. That this man from Nazareth is also the Ancient of Days. Very and eternal God. Light of light, very God of very God. Creating light from darkness in the work of creation. And as we see here in our passage, creating life from death in his work of new creation. That by his power, raising Lazarus from the grave, our Lord shows that he is not only truly God, 
but his absolute dominion over death and the grave. He has come to conquer death itself. That this is a sign of our Lord. (laughs) This is why John records it. One of the seven signs John records in his gospel. And I think many people take the signs of our Lord recorded and sort of make them the end in itself, right? Look at Jesus. Look at his power. But the point of the sign is not itself. The sign is pointing to something greater and other than itself. It's not the point. It's a pointer. It's a sign showing us that Christ alone is the one that is able to raise someone from death to life. It's showing his power over death itself. His word resurrecting someone from the grave. We see Lazarus' dead, lifeless, decaying body is miraculously and supernaturally raised to life. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is incredible by the command of the incarnate word. And so this sign is meant to point us to Christ, His power, His divinity. The sign signifies something greater than itself. We're not meant to terminate our focus on just this resurrection of one man, but it's meant to point us to something greater. Just as the miraculous multiplication of bread in John chapter 6 shows us that Christ is the true manna from heaven. It's meant to point us to that reality, that greater truth. Just like the sight was given to the man that was born blind, it's meant to show us that Jesus is the giver of true spiritual sight. And in the same way, this resurrection of Lazarus from the dead is meant to point us, to show us something greater than itself. And that sort of brings us to our third point this morning as we look to the resurrection of Christ himself. That this sign of the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, recorded in John chapter 11, is this great foreshadowing of Christ's bodily resurrection from the grave on the third day. That he too would lie in the tomb in the heart of the earth with a great stone sealing its entrance. He too would taste death itself. Just like Jonah was swallowed by the great fish, our Lord too would be taken to the heart of the earth. But just as with Jonah, just as the fish vomited him out, we see in the resurrection of our Lord that death itself cannot hold him. That on the first day of the week, he too would be raised, not to die again as Lazarus would, but in a glorious resurrection body. That Lazarus here... (laughs) In many ways, it's kind of unfortunate. He's raised to life, right? He's raised from the tomb. This is an amazing, miraculous work of our Lord. But Lazarus will die again. (laughs) He will suffer and die again. So this resurrection of Lazarus is not the final resurrection of Lazarus. It is a type. It is a shadow. It is a picture meant to point us to Christ's glorious resurrection from the day as the fulfillment. 
as the first fruits of the new creation, this man of heaven that is raised imperishable in a glorious resurrection body that will never die. And as we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, this same Christ ascends into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession for us. The serpent's head crushed, sin and death defeated, the grave conquered. A token and pledge not only of his victory over death, but the vindication of his accomplishment of the work of redemption. It's his vindication of the salvation of sinners, that death itself could not hold him. There was no accusation that could keep him in the tomb, that he was really truly raised for our, as Paul will say, justification. And so as we step back from this passage and as we think about and contemplate what this means for us, we see here not only a foreshadowing of Christ's resurrection from the dead, but we also see in this account a picture of our spiritual resurrection from death to life. Our effectual call, our new birth. That apart from Christ and in our state of sin, we are just like Lazarus, dead. That apart from Christ and in our state of sin, we are just like Lazarus, dead. As we read this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This describes every man and woman in their state of sin. And that because of the fall into sin, we are not born spiritually alive, but spiritually dead. Hearts of stone, cold and insensitive to the things of God, as Titus says, hated by others and hating one another. Corrupted by our sin, darkened in our understanding, loving the darkness, hating the light, dead in our sins and trespasses, defiled in body and soul, the effects of sin, rotting, decaying, corrupting us to our very core, children of wrath, enemies of God, enslaved to our sins and passions, and much like Lazarus, smelling of death and decay. But just as with Lazarus, out of the darkness, out of the silence, out of death, comes a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. Son and daughter of God, come forth. Or as the prophet Ezekiel prophesies in, verse, in chapter 27, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That this is what has happened in the hearts of God's people. Where there was only death, there's now life. Where there was only decay, resurrection. Where there was only hearts of stone, we see hearts of flesh. The dead hearing the voice of the Son of God and living. <laughs> this is what has happened in our salvation. This is what has happened in the new birth, in our spiritual resurrection. God creating life where there was only death. 
The Word of God bringing resurrection to our dead souls. The effectual call of our Lord not only commanding new life, but creating that which it commands. (laughs) Dead people can't hear anything. Dead people can't obey. They're dead. (laughs) But we see in the resurrection of Lazarus, and then as we look to our spiritual resurrection, God, by the work of His Spirit, causes the dead to hear and live. Or what does Jesus say in John chapter 5? The hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. An hour is coming and is now here. These amazing words, he says, the dead will hear. The dead will hear. This, brothers and sisters, is the effectual call of our Lord, creating life by His Word in our stinking, rotten, sin-sick souls, enlightening our minds to the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills, giving us hearts of flesh, enabling us to embrace Christ as He has offered to us in the gospel. This is what has happened to us in our salvation. And I was thinking about the great hymn written, interestingly enough, by Charles Wesley. He says these words in hymn 219, the song, And Can It Be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. My eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. <laughs> this is a picture of what has happened in our resurrection from death to life. This is what God has done in our very hearts, calling us effectually to Himself, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness and death to the kingdom of His beloved Son. But even more than that, <laughs> This work that God has begun in our hearts, in this work of new creation, will be brought to consummation on the very last day. That on the last day, when our Lord returns and again cries out with a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, the dead will all be raised the unjust will be raised to dishonor what the book of Revelation calls the second death. The just in Christ will be raised to honor and glory, made like unto Christ in His glorious resurrection body, as Paul says, the first fruits of our resurrection. The souls that are present now with the Lord will be united to their resurrection bodies. That what Adam had earned for us in the garden was death and the grave and misery. But what the Lord Jesus Christ has earned for us is life and resurrection. Or as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, that great passage where Paul goes on to talk about the glory of the resurrection, he says this, For as by a man came death, 
by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is what the Lord has done for us, not only securing our spiritual resurrection from death to life, but our future bodily resurrection from the grave on the last day in resurrection glory. That won't be susceptible to sin and corruption. That will be imperishable, undefiled. This is what we have to look forward to, brothers and sisters. And so we see in this passage of Lazarus raising from the dead the glorious window and picture into our future glorious resurrection. So this is our hope this morning, brothers and sisters. This is the promise of our Savior, and this is the glory of the gospel of grace. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that shows us the deadly effects that sin has in this fallen world. And we see also in this passage the glorious power of our Savior to bring life where there was only death. And so we pray this morning that you would help us by your Spirit to see the glory of Christ who is the one who has come to save us from death itself, from the power of the grave, that we too might have resurrection life by his word alone. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to rest in Christ and rest in these glorious gospel promises that even though we will face death this side of heaven, our bodies will decay, they will go into the grave. We have a hope of a future bodily resurrection where we will dwell with our Lord forever. Never to sin again, never to die. And we come and we remember that the words of our Lord is true, that the one that believes in him, even though he die, yet shall he live. We remember that our Lord is the resurrection and the life, and our only hope this morning is to be found in him. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.